Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Thank you for listening to this episode 15, season four of This Spiritual Fix. Today we are finishing off the three-part series on the father wound. Enjoy! This Spiritual Fix Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self-Help Game With Anna Stromquist And Christina Wilson Yo, Anna Yo (laughs) I'm Anna and this is Christina Wilson And this is the Spiritual Fix Podcast Father Wound number three (laughs) This is part three of the Father Wound as many of you know, we start the conversation usually with a prelude that's somehow connected to the topic at hand. And I really wanted to talk this morning about a show I just watched, which was so good. I binged it on Apple TV called Blackbird. Have you heard of it? I haven't heard of it, no. So it's the story of this man named Jimmy Keen. It's a true story. It's based on the autobiographical report of this man named Jimmy. I'm not going to give much away at all because all this stuff happens in the first 10 minutes, basically. Jimmy Keen was like this all-star football player, charming, handsome. Everyone loves him. He knows how to like maneuver himself in any social situation. And then he gets caught up in selling drugs and he gets sentenced to 10 years and the FBI approaches him and they're like, there's this man and we think he's a serial killer, but we need him to give a confession because we only have one body and he's a janitor. So like he cleans the body so well, like we don't have any evidence against him. Will you please go to a maximum security prison for the criminally insane, befriend this potential serial murderer because you're so charming. And if you do, then you don't have to fulfill your 10 years. You can just get out. And so the whole story is about the relationship between like a charming fake dude befriending a serial murderer and then like all the intricacies of that. Okay. So it's fascinating. And so the serial murderer is this man named Larry Dwayne Hall, who might be the most prolific serial murderer in all of U.S. history, but there are no bodies because guess what? He is a grave digger. And so he really knew how to dig graves well. So this was the most important part of the show that I thought in terms of spirituality that I wanted to share with you, Chris, is that when he was a little boy, his dad had him and his twin brother help dig the graves. But at night, the dad had like zero integrity and he'd wake his son up in the middle of the night, Larry, and have him go rob the graves. And he would give him pliers to remove body parts if there was jewelry attached, et cetera, et cetera. And Larry says that, he must have dug a hundred graves before his adulthood 
and he must have robbed a fair number of them. But this is my theory. Because he robbed graves at such a young age and so many graves, I think he had entity attachments big time or he had walk-ins big time. And that is why he had fugue states and he had a hard time meshing reality with dreams and etc. During these killing sprees, he would often experience autoscopy, which was seeing his body from above. And like, he would call them his dreams. Like he would have dreams of doing all these horrible things, but they were actually true. Like he did do them. I think that he was having entity attachments from all that horrible stuff he did as a kid that his dad made him do. That That is not scientific. That is just my own theory, but I'm watching the scene where like the dad has him robbing the grave and I'm like, well, no wonder he turned into a serial murderer. He is digging graves. Right. And he's also completely desensitized to the human body, which in most ways for most people is like, you want to keep it intact, right? Most people have a disgust of the dismembering of the human body because they don't get desensitized to it, right? They're like, right. oh God, somebody loses a finger. That sounds terrible. But if he's doing that like, on bodies. You know, age yeah. 10 and up. Yeah. So like, that's fascinating. But then that got me interested in serial murders in general. And I did some statistics and I find them fascinating. And I kind of want to know what your take on things are. Okay. So first of all, let's talk about worldwide. So worldwide, the United States has three times more serial killers per capita than any other country in the world and has produced 67.5% of the world's known serial killers, okay? So first of all, a lot of them are here in the U.S. England and South Africa come in second and third globally. And in England, the worst serial killer in history is actually a woman, and they called her the angel maker because she killed 400 babies in the 19th century. She gave the impression of running foster care and taking care of kids for unwed mothers. Okay, so there's that. Now going back to the statistics in the United States, 85% were male, 8% were female, and the sex was undetermined in the other cases where we don't know who did it, right? Okay. Now what's interesting is of the percentage that are female, most of them acted in tandem to a partner, like they were assisting their right. romantic they, partner. They weren't solo right. practitioners, yes. Okay, let's look at race now. 82% of American serial killers are white, 15% are black, and 2% are Hispanic. 87% operated alone, while 10% committed their crimes in pairs or groups. I just want to talk really quick about why. Why are most serial killers in the United States, and or per capita, I should say, and why are they mostly white men? I have my theories. What are yours, Christina? Well... <laughs> we're, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but I think it's definitely has, it's a combination of, of being, not being able to like, probably growing up in certain places and with certain circumstances in which you're not allowed to express any emotion whatsoever. So all of your emotion gets funneled into rage. And then you combine that with a form of supremacy that's endemic and systemic in our country. And then you feel like not only is it okay for you to express your rage, it's okay for you to express your rage in the form of the greatest supremacy, which is taking another life. That's my real quick theory <laughs> at right. 7.30 in the morning, but what's yours? <laughs> well, I, well, I have a couple theories. One of my theories is that United States has better law enforcement, better statistics. We're not 
we're not like Russia and China where we hide our statistics and our data from other countries to look better. Like we are pretty transparent for the most part. Okay. For the most part, we're pretty transparent. Whereas I think China and Russia skew their data. I think in Europe, there's not as great communication between the countries. So they might not be keeping tabs on things as much. I also think that, you know, look at Peru or parts of Africa, et cetera, et cetera. Not everyone has a social security number there. You know, the law enforcement might not have the resources to dig into missing person cases as often or as well as we do, right? So so I think there's a lot of factors also that like the data is a little skewed. I think it's a little skewed. I, I think that you can, I mean, I think that you could say that probably trafficking accounts for a very large percentage of the missing people in this country now, but like serial killers is a very specific right. malady, you know? And I think that you're probably right, that they are skewed, but I think it, I think that I really do think that the United States bears the children of serial, like bears the, the serial killer thing. The like I think that our culture kind of breeds right. them. Our culture. Well, right. So the reason why I think that it is 82% white is because I think that it has a, well, first of all, there could be a gene, right? And we could say, oh, well, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's child abuse, but not everyone who goes through child abuse is going to turn into a serial murder. They did a study and they found that 40% of serial murders interviewed had been physically beaten, abused in their childhoods, and 70% reported witnessing something very sexually stressful. Okay. So there is like a correlation possibly with childhood, but I think that it comes from our culture of objectification, especially of women. And so over time, there is a desensitization of the female body and of the, of the woman actually being human. Like when you listen to Larry Hall in this show, talk about women, they are not people to him. They are literally just objects and vehicles that can give him pleasure or validation in some way. Like they aren't people. And so I think like overall the white culture in general I don't think specifically white people are, you know, inferior to other races and in the sense of like, they're evil. I just think that white culture in general objectifies women to the nth degree. And so it's like, and and they're also, we're very consumeristic country, capitalistic country. So we reduce people to objects over and over and over again, kind of like what you're saying, basically. And then I also think that it's a level of, of entitlement, right? Oh, like, cause almost all of these men with the exception, I think, of Ted Bundy that I know of, are like not quote unquote good with women. And then they're like sexually frustrated. And then they have the sense of entitlement, which comes from living in a country where you're told that you can have the American dream because, you know, you're a white male. You got all the opportunities. Whereas people of other races are a little more realistic. Like, no, the cops might kill me if I do something wrong, you know, or, or if I don't even do something wrong, I should say. Right. So right. I think that like there's they a feel level- invisible. Right. I feel like there's this whole sense of entitlement. Like I deserve the American dream. I deserve to be that dude in the beer commercial with all those hot women. And if I'm not getting that attention that I think I deserve, then I'm going to go take it because it's mine. So I think it's, I think it's, you know, systemic objectification. And I think it is entitlement. That's my theory. Or maybe grave digger possession. (laughs) Or maybe grave digger possession. Yeah. I mean, either way, it comes from a position of I mean, a lot of it comes from the humiliation wound, right? Getting back to the primal wounds. One of the things that we haven't talked about with the father wound is kind of it, it's primal wounds. Like we talked about it with the mother wound, 
about how particularly like abandonment and betrayal and rejection kind of come from the mother wound. But I think that the father wound also has rejection because both those sit in the heart and humiliation and injustice. So injustice, humiliation, that's what I would say is like, right. if it was like a prism, if the father wound is the prism, it shines its light of the primal wounds into our lives in the form of injustice, rejection, and humiliation. And humiliation is all about like supremacy and like feeling like you're lower than or having to put someone lower than. And like I said, like the ultimate objectification is basically thinking that you're better than someone and that they like you can't you can't even begin to imagine the complexity of another person so you're just like that's just a person walking around in my world and I can kill them that's just a meat sack yeah, yeah exactly and I think it ties really well I think the topic of serial murders ties well into the father wound that we've been discussing because the father wound is in many aspects narcissistic abuse and serial murderers or serial murder is like an outlier extreme of narcissist abuse because it's all about deception and abuse of power and manipulation and uh, degradation. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So happy, happy prelude <laughs> topic this morning. Oh my God. <laughs> but why? I mean, we love the US. You joked about it last episode that like women all over the country fall asleep listening to serial murder podcasts and stories like what is our fascination with it too like that's interesting maybe it's our deep dark destructive energy force that's interested in this and it's a sublimation of it or maybe it's a way of being like shit this could happen to me let me know exactly how these guys think so i can be prepared know thy enemy you know i think that's i, I think i think if i had to guess it, it feels more I think actually, no, I think you're probably right. It's probably both. And we'll t I feel like we'll talk about the former part because I'm going to talk later about feminine rage, but like, because it's like, you're like, you know, instead of having somebody around a fire, you know, looking out for wild animals, you're instead saying, okay, actually, let me, let me figure out all the different things that can happen so that I can remember not to walk in an alley yeah. at night, you know? And speaking of Know Thy Enemy, I will link it in the show notes. There is a wonderful interview by Oprah Winfrey where she interviews, I think, four or five convicted pedophiles. But what she does in the interview is she says, listen, for everyone watching, please tell us, how did you groom the child? Please tell us, what are you looking for in your victims and how did you groom them? Because that way we as parents or that way parents watching can know and that was a really great episode on know thy enemy because all these guys almost unanimously had the same answer for things and so you're just like okay let me tuck that in my head for when i have kids or if i have kids because you get to see like what are they looking for well what are they can you give us do you remember one of the things that they're looking um, for yes so <laughs> sorry i was just like i really want to know now well first of all they're looking for a child who's being ignored by their parent so some looking neglected in some way, maybe the parent is emotionally neglective, or maybe the child's hair isn't washed, but the child doesn't look well taken care of. It, it's like the parent is the antithesis of a helicopter parent. So there's that. The other one is the child is insecure. And so there's like a lot of people who are gay that get sexually abused, and then they think that they're gay because they were sexually abused or... Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I must, you know, a lot of this, they say that they actually seek out children who are insecure about their sexuality on purpose because they can recognize the humiliation wound in them. They don't say it like that. And so they have a feeling like, like this child won't tell because this child already feels insecure in their body. So they, so they specifically look out for children who look insecure in their sexuality. 
No, it's interesting too, because I'm actually just like just now, because I'm like the type of person who I won't push it if my daughter doesn't want to brush her hair. Because I was like, because, you know, I'm like, okay, she doesn't want to brush her hair. It's fine. But recently we've started braiding her hair every day and like every night so that like it's easier for her and it's like become a ritual. And I'm just like, I, I lament that I didn't do it earlier in a lot of ways because, you know, for me, it was such a triggering kind of part of abuse was my appearance and so my desire to control my kids appearance has become the opposite but now i'm like hmm, now i have a very good reason <laughs> to well, want to get back into I'm, this area now and mean, from a fearful place home, but yeah well your kids are homeschooled and you live on an isolated farm so like i feel like her exposure to potential people still i think it's just good in general as a mother to like for me in my space like i as i grow and as i like process and heal all my trauma to like recognize that there's a happy medium ground where it doesn't oh. have to be abusive can i tell you a really funny story real quick yeah <laughs> so this is my scorpio moon coming out so we have some distant relatives who, who will not be named who are very judgmental about appearance like very judgmental about appearance and so i didn't brush i, I either didn't brush my kids hair a lot when they were little or like my daughter, it doesn't matter if I brush her hair 10 minutes later, it's going to look like she survived a hurricane. Like it's, <laughs> it's just her hair has a life of its own. And also in the in the modern day, we take phone, we take a lot of photos on our phone, whereas the older generation was used to like, you take out your camera and you pose, you know, it's different. It's not so candid. So you don't really see the everyday life to life. So there's this distant relative of ours who doesn't have kids and is extremely judgmental about my daughter's hair and will like constantly make jokes inappropriate remarks about like does she have a hairbrush you know things like that like constantly trying to like like fucking make me feel like shit for not brushing her hair so I haven't spoke to this relative in a long time anyways whatever this person has crossed my boundaries and so it was it was picture day and it was like I do brush my kids hair before they go to school but like this one particular day we were running out of the house it was the day after Halloween so like my kids what had candy hangovers what a terrible we were... idea for a family or for a school yeah. picture it was school it was school picture day the day after Halloween and so it's like <laughs> my kids have sugar hangovers like we all went to bed late we're in a rush to get out the door did not brush her hair I mean her hair looks like you know looks like I can't even explain it it just was the worst hair ever and I knew the school picture was going to come out terrible but I didn't care because we weren't going to buy it anyways fast forward they sent home the school pic and her hair looks so bad it's like tangled and messy and all you see is just like bedhead but I want everyone to imagine bedhead times 10 like you're an electrical socket okay <laughs> I was so tempted to buy the school picture just to send it to this relative. <laughs> oh my God, that totally would have been like the Scorpio moon Leo son. Doesn't hear from me from years, gets a school picture. Oh, nice. Oh, it's this girl, her hair. Oh my God, that would have been so good. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> All right, so Anna. We're going into... That, that's my dark feminine force, you know? That is your dark feminine force. Yeah, and I bring... love her. I, I think she's fun. I think she's fun, has a sense of humor. <laughs> she definitely has a sense of humor. I definitely use your model sometimes when I'm, like, getting into that really dark feminine rage place now. I'm just like, 
Hmm, what's something funny I can do too? That's like darkly funny. So today we are talking about part three of the father wound, right? We are talking about, just as a reminder, over the last two episodes, we have talked about the father wound. We have talked about how the father in its most, the father is responsible in a lot of ways for providing identity, value, or self-worth and power. And how not only can we experience the corruption of those things in the form of narcissistic abuse, in the form of, you know, taking away people's identity of trying to basically superimpose the father's identity onto the children's on a personal level but we're also experiencing the father wound on this massive cultural level which is the quote-unquote patriarchy and how that is that's where we are right so we've been exploring that a lot we've been exploring kind of in the last episode how we're seeing that in the 3d i spoke briefly about how i'm kind of resolving the father wound in my own life and, you know, Anna was expressing kind of how that's affected her in the first episode. So now we're on to the third episode, Anna. And what are we going to be going into? <laughs> Today we're going to be going into the healing of this wound, or we could say the process. And it's an interesting episode because I don't feel like either of us fully have it down yet, but I would just like to share our insights and what we're doing as we deal with this motherfucker of a wound. And it is a motherfucker, not a fatherfucker, because the motherfucks the father. And a heteronormative. But there could be an example of a father wound that is a fatherfucker. So <laughs> But yes, no, I that's what I was thinking the same thing. And I was like, the motherfucking wound, man. And a heteronormative. I mean, but of course the father wound in my mind is a white man who's in a hetero who's a hetero, you know. A hetero a killer. He's a serial killer white male narcissistic abuser who is like the father who sits with the big beard in the cloud. Like that's that's my view, right? Is like what are yeah. the worst parts? What are the parts that are always putting themselves above others? Right. right. In whatever yeah. way possible. Yeah. So how how are you resolving this, Anna? Well well, resolving resolving oh so oh, no. yeah okay we, uh, how are you where are <laughs> you with it <laughs> okay where am i with it i yeah. i kind of well i just kind of want to share where i what i've been going through really yeah and 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 i don't know if i have like a hack for what works for you but this is what's working for me and it feels great it's like can you tell my energy is so different it's so different it's so amazing it's so different this song came on and i feel like the lyrics to it helped me really understand the father. Okay. So Christina, can you sing those lyrics? Because I can't really sing and it'll sound better if you do. It's a, it's a good old fashioned Whitney Houston song. Where are they? If you go down to red, go down on to resolution. I'll just cut and paste it. Oh, is it a Bring link? Bring me a higher left. Oh, oh, right. Yes. Okay. No, my God. I love this song. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it because I already have vocal fry this morning as everyone can hear my voice is very low. Bring me a higher love, love. Bring me a higher... Bring hi me a higher love. <laughs> Bring me a higher love, ho. Do, do, Think do. about it. <laughs> there must be a higher love. I can't sing. But down, okay, in the the heart or, down in the heart or hidden in the stars above. Without it, life is waste of time. Look inside your heart and I'll look inside mine. Okay, this is such a great example of the human desire to connect with something higher, 
right? We need to escape the 3D. The 3D sucks. Like I need something. I need hope. I need faith. I need something beyond this fucking hell of a world that we live in sometimes, you know? Sometimes you're miserable and it's like you're sinking and you're you're reaching out for the life. What is that? That circle? Life tube? Oh, a, a life preserver. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're reaching out for the life preserver and you're like, please, please, please. So we cling on to this. Bring me a higher love. You know, think about it. There must be a higher love down in the heart or hidden in the stars above. Without it, life is wasted time. So I feel like it's kind of like merging the 3D with the 5D. We talk so much about the mother and we need the mother, but we also do need the father. We do need something to look up to, something to emulate to, something to have faith in when things are rough, you know, believing there's a higher purpose in it all, remembering where we came from, where everything was beautiful, like, you know, hoping for something higher. And that is a human, normal and beautiful human desire to reach for higher love. But then, you know, the churches and society have fucking corrupted that by being like, oh, you want something higher? Hmm, why don't you pay tithes to me? Hmm, why don't we make it so that you can only get there if you talk to me so I can, by the way, molest your kids on the side? You know, like all this bullshit and all this exploitation. So I feel like originally in its purest form, the desire for the father is very beautiful. So that was like one of my first insights about the father. Yeah, keep going. So I feel like there's something to be said. So the, the next lines that come after bring me a higher lover. Things look so bad everywhere in this whole world. What is fair? We walk the line and try to see falling behind in what could be. Bring me a higher love, bring me a higher bring love. Bring me a higher. Where's that higher love I keep thinking of? <laughs> so it's... It, but it's interesting because he's using like a really a lot of key things like talking about what's fair right so again going back to the injustice wound and how the injustice wound shows up in the father wound and and i think i love it how he says i keep thinking of right that like this their minds are always creating this like this thing that is outside of what we are which could be bypass but it's not and that's i feel like a really important part of this right is that like the church and everything encourages us to bypass and say like all of the religions and i mentioned this before but like all the religions are basically designed as quote unquote savior religions right which is the the idea that like once you become enlightened then you don't have to suffer anymore once you die then you go to heaven and you just have to endure while you're here and occasionally get sprinklings from the father to like make you think that it's going to be slightly better for a little bit longer and then and then you die and then you're like oh great now now but i did what i needed to do when i was alive which was to you know accept jesus into my heart or you know meditate for you know 40 hours under a tree until i met an enlightenment you know that kind of thing where it's again it's like it the the father that we're seeing is 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 in religion is encouraging bypass is is basically saying it's not here right now Right. So that's where you can see the disconnect between the mother, which says, I accept things as they are right now. Right. And the father who's like, well, just wait a little bit. It'll be OK. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like those two disconnects is what we're seeing. And so the predominant image that we're getting is the father, which is just wait a little bit. If you do this stuff, then it'll be better later. It'll be terrible now but it'll be better later. Right. And maybe we'll give you like a little bit of nice things here and there. And I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a nice present here and then I'll take away all those presents back here. But you know, that that's okay. 
anyway right yeah well i think what the way i interpreted what you just said but then also what i've come to understand is that ultimately in life it's about connection right like i'm taking this course with leanne who channels these galala galala collective beings i don't know if they're aliens i don't know if they're who they are but she channels these beings and they said that you know you have your emotional spiritual physical mental bodies if we just break it down into the basic four so like the mental body can think lots of thoughts the emotional body can feel different emotions right so does the spiritual body feel it feels either disconnection and connection it feels either constriction and expansion or it feels fear or love okay so those are the parameters of the spiritual body and so in essence it kind of doesn't matter what you're experiencing as long as you are experiencing connection then you are your your spiritual body is quote unquote happy or in alignment right when you're feeling connection and freedom and love and so for me what i've come to understand with all of this is that the way the paradigm exists currently with this desire for the god desire for father desire for heaven is that's that's all separation based mentality it is like the low end of the spectrum of the spiritual body but if we can shift our view which is what i'm doing to see god as my husband then he is connected to me right if i can see god as my husband it's a connection it's a partnership and it no longer feels so separate now for other people that might feel weird or incestuous to say god is my lover god is my husband god is my partner like that might be a little out there but that is like in essence and we'll come back to this later in the episode that is how i am healing this wound is i've stopped making this separation all this bypassy stuff and all of this church and perversion of father it has everything to do with separation and when you feel connected to god and and in a partnership with god it's different now some people can do that with with him being paternal i can't if i see him as a father if i see him as paternal i see hierarchies i see superiorities i see exploitation i see all sorts of bad stuff but when i see him as my partner i feel connected right that's that sense? that does and it's just it totally clicked while you were saying that too because like if you wanted to say like why the father wound seems so prevalent i mean it's everywhere it's all over the world but it definitely shows up in different versions which i'll talk about like in different countries like you'll do different cultures has it come out in different ways right and in america we don't believe in multi-generational families right so for us the father raises you and then kicks you out of the house, right? And that's and 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 if you then apply that same idea of the father to your creator, which is, I'm going to let you in the house and then I'm going to kick you out of the house again. It 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 promotes that idea. So so the culture that we have of how we actually treat our families, right? Which is this idea of like okay, you're going to get raised by them, but then they super traumatize you. So you're going to live really far away from them and not actually get there. You know, you're, you're going to, you're, you're not going to live close to them and you're going to, you know, separate yourself from them because they were abusive to you. And then they're going to reach the end of their life when they need help. And then they're going to go into a nursing home, right? Like that's, you know, if you, and if then, you and then, yeah, yeah, take, take and that cultural behavior, which is very predominant. And then apply that to our creator. And that's what you can see what we're doing with the creator or vice versa. Anyway, right. go ahead. And if you yeah. say father, then you immediately think, well, his one true love is my mother. He's, and not me. Yeah. But, and not me. Yeah. You know, 
And I don't believe that to be the case. I, I, when I have experienced God's love, it has been the love of a partner. It has been the love of a lover. It has been beautiful. Right. But when I conceptually think of him as my father, my creator, my judger, I fucking hate him. Yeah. And I feel separate. And right. I feel small. Right. And if you're, and if you're a Christian, right, especially if you're a Protestant Christian, but if you're any Christian at all, I mean, how many times do you hear he, he gave his only son? He gave his, he sacrificed, he gave his only son to us. He gave his only son to us, right? So then- Favoritism. Right? Favoritism, golden child. Like, Triangulation. You, uh, yeah, whatever you want to say of like this idea of like, okay, okay, so maybe you really love the mother, but your son, your son is the one that you love. I, I think you sent me a TikTok the other day that was hilarious. It was one of those gender reveals, like that was like a, a, a drop, it was like a satire of a dram, of a- of a gender reveal and it was like the, it was like one guy and he was popping the bo the blue and the red and in the blue when the blue happens he's like oh my god boy the boys and he starts like going into all this like veiled homoerotic things of like i only love men i mean yeah. no yeah this is the best like anytime you yeah like anytime you see a gender reveal when the man sees it it's gonna be a boy and he's like oh my god i fucking love the world oh my god i'm a boy and then the girl one is like it's like oh but she'll be such a heartbreaker and like all the friends start being like oh t let me know when she's 18 and like you know he's just like devastated by the fact you know like secretly devastated by the fact that he's having a girl and like we 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 look at other cultures and say that they you know that they prescribe to this form of 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 uh, you know in, infanticide which has obviously been infanticide at some point that's based on gender and that's why they don't have ultrasounds in a lot of countries or traditionally didn't have ultrasounds in a lot of countries for that very reason and it's just everywhere christina can you tell me what how you're healing or dealing with your narcissism oh my god it's so funny because I, I don't know if I, I haven't listened to the mother wound series in a second i will admit that because it was really hard for me to record at all but I feel like it was interesting because with the mother wound, I I was like kind of tr defining it and things like that. I had the help of Kelly McDaniel's book, but like, you know, I was I was kind of doing it, and then and then you came in and you're like, oh shit, I've actually been looking at it as well, right? Like I've actually been doing the mother wound as well, right? And it kind of came in that even though you weren't leading it, the world was gonna put situations into your life, which meant that you were gonna experience it to some extent, right? So the same things happened with me with the father wound and I've only realized it even between, you know, six days ago when we recorded the last one and today that the father wound has just, I like, it's totally been made clear to me. And it's interesting because I, the, the basic story of how this has come into my life is that I have, I, you know, everyone's, everyone's heard the story of like, I've, I experienced a lot of verbal and emotional abuse growing up, but it's interesting because it's been, you know, for one reason or another, it hasn't been triggered recently, right? Because everybody knew that we needed to stay apart from each other and that we like didn't need to be in the same place. And I'm not, I'm being very vague for a reason, y'all. People who know me will, will know what I'm talking about and just trust that I'll be, I'll give you guys enough information to kind of tell this story. She's Is protecting her abuser, guys. <laughs> I'm protecting my abuser. I don't want to poke the bear. No, I'm kidding. Um, Your abuser is a package deal. And so like we have, 
that's the thing is like when your abuser is a package deal or the person who pisses you off is a package deal, you really have to be careful, you know, yeah. like, you know, some people are a package deal. They're either part of a community that you like or part of a club that you like or married to someone you love or whatever. And like, you can't throw them out because completely because then you're going to miss out on all these other awesome people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's so that that thank you. That's that's a good way of saying it. So basically, the idea is that like, I didn't recognize what was happening until I was basically forced into a situation where I was alone with this person for a, in a stressed environment for a prolonged period of time. And with all of the tools that I have now, I was able to see exactly what they did. I was like, Oh my God, that's triangulation. Oh my God, that's victim blaming. Oh my God. That's, you know, like I was just like, it was like this amazing thing to like come back into this place, be treated like I was a kid again, but suddenly I had vocabulary to be able to explain and understand all these things. Right. And it didn't mean that there was not a massive blowback in which I was like believing because they, they would project like anything that I would say, they would say back to me and say that I did the same thing to them. Right. Like anything that, you know, I was I was the one who forced situations in which I got hurt, like just all sorts of things. And I was just like, I was I was I was texting with Anna and Anna's like, what the fuck? How can you handle <laughs> you were like you were like, you know, you it was like really eye opening for me to explain what had been so normalized for me to somebody else, even as a 39 year old woman who apparently knows you know, who's been through the ringer in a lot of different ways and has done a lot of self work to like come and I, and I even admit now that I feel ashamed that I didn't recognize it before. Now, it was kind of hidden. So I didn't I wasn't actually believing my parts. I was like, you know, I look back at my childhood before this last week. And I see how, how I, I believed I internalized what was being told about me right that i was the one who was to blame for everything because i was like in the traditional scapegoat position sometimes i was a golden child but sometimes most of the time i was in the scapegoat position and you know i believed everything that i was told so because i believed everything i never you know i knew that there was an issue but i didn't see it in its total clarity until now you yeah. either weren't ready or they were I don't know. I don't, it's like you either aren't ready or they're so good at abusing you that you really do believe that you made them say that horrible, fucked up, mean thing. Yeah, exactly. So to all you guys who are, feel like you've done a lot of self-healing and a lot of self-work and a lot of shadow work, and yet you still have this kind of thorn in your side, or it feels like you're, it feels like there's an elephant in your shadow room, you know? It's going to, I mean, that's the thing. The father wound made mine come out. And that's why it's so interesting, right? Because this isn't in a, this is not a traditional father role that we're talking about here. But all of the, you know, my identity, like uh, I always associated myself with basically being a bad person, with being a corrupt person, with being a harmful person that like, I always had this, this aspect of my personality that was just so destructive and, you know, had absolutely no sense of self-worth that like, even though I've been able to, to do a lot of work, I had no sense of self-worth and that also, you know, power, my understanding of power and my ability to wield power has always been limited by my fear of corrupting power of basically having the power corrupt me. 
right? And I did all this past life work without realizing that I literally had an elephant in my room in this life, which was basically a voice that was telling that I had internalized that basically said that if I were to gain power, I would be a harmful person, right? Or that I would be narcissistic and that I would be abusive in that way. And I will admit that it has helped me to understand and see how you inherit patterns of this abuse, right? Which is kind of what I want to get into more so than kind of giving you guys the background story. Yeah, go for it. Which is this idea that narcissistic abuse is this totally, it's, it's, I feel like it has, I feel like narcissistic abuse has kind of two components to it, right? It has a source, which is being a narcissist, right? Which is like, I actually feel like I am better than, or whether it's a covert, covert or overt narcissist, right? Which are kind of two main categories in which overt narcissists are like, I'm the best, I'm so wonderful. And covert narcissists can usually have really low self-esteem, but they're still overly concerned about their appearance, right? They basically just take a different tact when expressing the fact that it's all about them and their kind of their kind of field. And I would recommend looking on, you know, looking up research with regards to overt and covert, if that's anything that you're, you know, wondering about, and you can obviously obviously go to a less reliable source, but wonderful source of TikTok. If you go to Narc Talk, the, you can learn a lot about being a covert narcissist. But the idea is, is that effectively it, it stems from this idea that you are better than, right? Whether that was created from an, an abusive situation or whether that was inherited or whether that's genetic or any of the different things as to the fact that you actually have NPD. And then there's the abuse that comes off of being a narcissistic, right? Which is what we're talking about. It's triangulation, it's victim blaming, it's passive aggression, it's all these different things, right? In their kind of most extreme form, which is basically a form of exuding power over somebody else and taking energy from them in whatever way is possible. So for me, in the situation, I recognize and have started to recognize that I don't have to be a narcissist in order to have conflict resolution that is problematic, right? Because I grew up with a narcissist and I had to learn how to fight with them. And so that's how I learned to fight, right? I learned how to fight, like basically going up against, you know, the fucking Mike Tyson of arguers. Right. And I, and it was either that it was either getting beaten down or come up with the same tactics and come up with the same harmful things. Right. But I didn't get rid of them. I didn't get rid of them when I got out of that context. Right. So it's my responsibility at this point to be able to, to move that. I feel like I'm talking a lot. No, go, go, go. Okay. All right. Feminine right. Do it. All right. So this is where we come into something with this, right? Because I had this huge moment. I almost said come to Jesus moment. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. Come, come to my father's favorite child <laughs> moment. Come to my father's favorite my come to the golden child moment. <laughs> oh my god. The I had this moment, right, where I was like, okay, you know, so much self-hatred coming out. It's just been pouring out of me these last couple of days and it's been really hard to feel safe and I've been feeling really dysregulated and just like because I'm recognizing that I, it's taken me fucking 37 years or whatever to be able to to recognize and actually create a clear boundary that says no this isn't me this part of the is not me i don't i don't start the things i don't do the things just because i don't understand something or i can't interpret things correctly even though i'm trying so hard to do it does not mean that i'm responsible for the abuse that then takes place and then i'm it's basically then blamed back on me right like that's not my responsibility but 
I do have a responsibility to recognize that I have my own Mike Tyson tendencies because of the fact that I grew up in a place where my conflict resolution came from having to fight against the Mike Tyson of, you know, of fighters, right? So given that, I now have a responsibility to do something with that. And so I was like, I have through, I have I have pushed away my anger for so long, y'all. I cannot even tell you because it is always feels so corrupted, right? It always feels like it's just like it it feels like my anger is just so embedded in this kind of patterns of conflict narcissistic abuse, like these patterns of conflict resolution. And I can understand how if you don't recognize that and if you don't deal with it, then my kids will tell me that I'm a narcissist, right? Because I never got rid of, I never addressed the conflict resolution that I had to be able to be like, oh, when she got angry though, it was really scary, right? Like, you know, she was great 80% of the time, but when she got angry, it was so bad that that's all they're gonna remember, right? So I have a responsibility to do something about this. So I was really struggling, y'all. I was just like, I don't know what to do. I had this anger inside of me and I think it's a gift in some ways and I need to, I wanna see it as a gift, but it's so, it feels so terrible and corrupt and it feels so whatever, like I just wanna get rid of it. I don't wanna, I don't wanna be anything like my abuser, right? So I'm like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Any anger whatsoever is always bad, right? And I have to heal it and I have to get rid of it and I have to make sure that I pull out all the roots of anger so that I never feel anger in my life and it just was fucking killing me all like because I, I because it's a part of me it's a huge part of me anger is a huge part of me and so that's when i picked a card from the divine feminine oracle guidebook and this is this is a great book because it basically has examples of goddess god goddesses that you don't necessarily hear about a lot and it pulls them forth and it gives you like a little history lesson and things like that but basically sekhmet is a linus she's an ancient egyptian goddess who represents oh my god are you kidding no i'm serious yeah this is fucking crazy okay, okay when you get to your story when you finish your story i'm gonna tell you why it's so fucking crazy okay i'm looking forward to this tell you just you. tell me tell me okay so i had my session with leanne yesterday the one who channels the galela collective and that galela collective they are fucking spot on so yesterday like this is all them by the way this is all them that's how accurate they are they're like we want to channel for you Lilith, the divine dark rage, which is like all, I didn't even really know who Lilith was until you talked about it last episode. And they're like, it's August 8th, it's Lionsgate. And you, they don't know, I don't know if they know I'm a Leo. They're like, you are the lioness. You protect your children like your cubs. You have full lion energy. Basically, the majority of the conversation that we had was about Lilith and was about me being a lion. And then you're fucking pull a card about a lion and what it's just and we're in leo I, and we're in the lion's gate it's like fucking lion energy everywhere <laughs> and then fucking and like my friend gave me a lion cup which i love but that's i mean like the the galela collective and you are totally in sync which is just cool and crazy and validating and that's, keep going. That's totally cool. All right. So, so the, it talks about in this card, I'm not going to talk about it, but it's basically the idea that she was a, she was a daughter of the sun god Ra and that she was known as the powerful one, the red lady, she who mauls and the one before whom evil trembles. Yes. And, she who mauls. I fucking love it. <laughs> and the ancient Egyptians held rituals at the end of the war and at the beginning of a new year to tame the wrath of Sekhmet. 
right? And they died, they played music, they got drunk, they dyed everything with pomegranate juice and everything was red and they all dressed the statues in red and things like that. And it says, when your soul selects her card, holy rage, sacred anger, and positive aggression. These states of being are crucial aspects of the divine feminine. It's the female power that ends wars, that brings home missing children, that seeks justice for earth and for those who can't defend themselves. The brilliant artist and mystic William Blake relates that the voice of honest indignation is the voice of God. The feminine has for too long been associated from rage, dissociated from rage and anger. If we can't embody the fiery emotion of anger, it often festers and expresses itself in subversive, manipulative ways or leaves us anxious and frustrated. Positive aggression, acting with love on behalf of what breaks our heart or enrages us is what allows us to become agents of change to better our lives in the world around us. So I am just like, I, 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 like, I literally got that card and I was like, holy shit, I understand, right? Because it was like, I feel like what's happened with this father wound on the big, massive coll collective level is that everybody, feminine rage is not just for females, right? Like it's for anybody. It's basically, it's, it's, it's the rage at the world gone wrong, right? And when, when feminine, the, the, when the, that is not allowed to come out, especially of women, you know, in traditional roles of women who've been boxed in and told that they can't be angry and basically not allowed to affect the world around them and basically kept it fucking home, it turns inwards and we start to eat our children. Like, this is, the, this is what they said to me <laughs> when I was doing it, like, eat your children is kind of what it is, right? Because you're not allowed to express outward. You're not allowed to change the world or affect the world in a bigger way. You're basically confined to the home. And so this feminine rage finds this, it becomes that what it was saying, like it festers, it becomes subversive and manipulative, which is why I think, again, this is a big jump, but like it's what it really resonates with me, which is why I think we have so many narcissistic mothers, y'all. I mean, everywhere in our culture, we're seeing narcissistic mothers. Like how many people do you know who are doing shadow work who are like, my mother is narcissistic, right? It's, it's just everywhere. Like so many people that I see, so many people that I meet and talk to, they're all like, yeah, this is the way. And I'm just like, what if we have this feminine rage in us and we're, and, and the world just keeps getting worse and worse and, you know, wherever it is just feels like it's getting worse and worse. And instead of acting on your feminine rage and actually getting it out, it's just festering. It's festering and it's becoming manipulative and it's becoming narcissistic abuse that you then give to your kids, right? And then the, it just keeps perpetuating and perpetuating. So this energy as it gets corrupted is just being passed on from generation to generation. And, you know, our job of breaking the generational, you know, patterns is to recognize that actually our job is to direct this feminine rage outward into action and actually changing the world, right? And can I just read something? There's this amazing article about, about feminine rage. It's called Kali and Feminine Rage, and it is from the website returnyoga.org. Is called, that for me or for the listeners? It's for both. So, so I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna write, read kind of two quotes from this. So one of the things she says in this article is she talks about feminine rage and she talks a lot about it in relation to anger. And it's really useful because I feel like it's very useful in recognizing and, and dealing with anger that we feel 
as as parents as people and it's we're feeling all this anger and we want to push it away because we've been told to dissociate from it we've been told to dissociate or we've or maybe it's become corrupted like in my case right where it feels like it's it it feels so close to the abuse that i experienced that i want to stay uh, you know i want to take keep away from it with a nine foot pole but it just keeps pushing its way back into my life Right. And it says the only way to transform or heal feminine rage is through civil justice. This is her perspective. Savitas and Lady Liberty, Kali and whatever other old, old myths you can find. It is both vital that we take care of ourselves and that we see that self-care ultimately ends up being community. So she talks a lot in this article about boundaries and understanding anger and about what is the actual proper place of anger, right? Very similar to what that card was talking about, about positive aggression and, and sacred, you know, sacred anger and how we can deal with that. And so for me right now, again, like Anna said, I'm still in the middle of this. This, this is like literally 24 hours old, but it's for me, I recognize that my job is not to ignore the feminine rage, is to not ignore the anger and try and push it out of my body, but to, to channel it outside of my family, into the community, into making the world a better place in whatever way is possible. And that is how I can, I can, it's a massive force inside of me, right? It feels so massive and it feels so powerful. And it is this untapped source of energy that I think is absolutely necessary that, that we, we do something about, right? You know, it's, I, I can't even, and this is, this is, this is another quote she says about anger and kind of this feeling with it. She says, just like all other sensations, thoughts, and emotions, the first stages of practice are about recognition and seeing things as they are. That's the mother. It's so freaking important to recognize the difference between low blood sugar and anger at the person in front of you. So again, talking about dysregulation, right? Or in my case, PMDD. <laughs> right. Just and kidding. It, and it's resolved with my diet. <laughs> and it's important to discern the difference between boundaries violated in the here and now as distinct from the times a current situation brings up a boundary violation from the past. That's what being triggered means. I've often gotten mad at Joe Schmo in front of me or my partner when I'm really mad at someone else entirely. Sometimes I've felt a flare of anger for people who've been dead for years. And it's important to recognize all the tremendously different ways in which our boundaries can be crossed to be really, really clear about what and where our boundaries are. Sometimes we cross our own boundaries, but then we project our anger or as resentment onto other people. Sometimes we get angry because the boundary of ego has been crossed or called out. We feel impeded or challenged in some way and we don't like it, even if the other was totally within their right. Sometimes we get angry when we are not given credit, but sometimes we get angry when we are given responsibility we didn't ask for. Sometimes we get angry in traffic, but it isn't that traffic violated our boundary of time, of responsibility, of where we're supposed to be. It's that the circumstances did, or we overscheduled or procrastinated and we did it to ourselves. This, the idea is that, y'all, anger is something that is so high with this father wound. It is just so high and it is our responsibility to embrace our anger, to find it, to pick through it and be like, hey, okay, yeah, I'm not angry at this person. Maybe I'm feeling feminine rage right now. Maybe I'm feeling anger at a past thing that's happened and to be present in the here and now, which is what the mother asks us to do and, but not, but but channel that anger channel that anger into a place that can actually better the world so that's where i am with it that's a long way to get there but that's where i am with it <laughs> i love it because my way to get there is also really fucking long so. <laughs> whoop, whoop. 
Okay, I'll tell mine real quick and then, yeah? Yeah. The way I'm working on it is I'm taking a 12-week course through Leanne where she channels these interdimensional beings. I've had some great experiences and validation with them and I love them. And I'll just kind of explain what I'm doing with my wound, with my father wound. If anyone wants to take her course or have a session with her, I feel she is awesome. I love my alien practitioners. To preface this, as I was saying before, they're like, there's a lot of different bodies, but we're going to break it down into the four, mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional. And I just want to kind of think, you, you're mentioning four bodies. We've obviously done a previous episode just a couple episodes ago where I described a more complex system, but right. effectively everyone's going to have their own interpretation of those bodies. And I think I mentioned in that episode that those four bodies are kind of the prevalent ones. I break the spiritual up into two different ones and there are a lot of mini bodies in there. So I just want to give people right. context to, to make things continuous for them. Right. And they're like, yeah. And they even said that they're like, there's a lot of different bodies, but for simplicity's sake, let's just focus on these four mental, spiritual, emotional, and physical. physical. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, okay, so first of all, let's kind of explain the fifth dimension versus the sixth dimension, right? So in the fifth dimension, you're like, I want to manifest a promotion at work. Okay. I'm going to do it physically. Like I'm going to take the steps needed physically to get that promotion or manifest that promotion. Mentally, I'm going to think the thoughts that I need to have a promotion. I'm going to think positive thoughts about it, right? Or I have this promotion. Emotionally, I'm going to feel gratitude and pride that I got the the that I got the promotion and spiritually, you know, on that spectrum of connection, disconnection, fear and love or expansion constriction, I'm going to be like, I'm going to tap into that expansive feeling, you know, getting promotion make me feel expansive. Okay. Yep. This is 5D manifestation. So then it's like a satellite. You send it out to the universe and the universe is going to come back and show you where you're not in alignment. So, you know, maybe a problem comes up in your romantic relationship and you're like this has nothing to do with my job my job is here and my romantic relationship is here but they're actually all related so basically the universe is like nope you got to fix this emotional thing with your partner and then you're ready for your promotion or like the universe is just just think of like all the challenges or incongruencies that come up in your life are just signposts from the universe to show you where you're not in alignment okay now if they if it happens on the physical level Let's say you get a bill in the mail that you weren't expecting. That's physical. Then the treatment will also be physical. So that could be like, you know, catharsis, running, whatever, whatever, whatever. Let's say it's, it's defeatist thoughts. Well, then the treatment will be mental as well. Like, okay, I got to do hypnosis or I got to do mantra, whatever. Like you treat, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't give, you don't give Advil to someone who is at risk for blood clots. Like you're going to treat the thing with the medicine that corresponds correctly to the diagnosis, right? You don't right. give adult to everyone. So like if you don't treat mold on the third floor when mold is existing in the basement. Exactly. So like basically where are your incongruencies coming up? Physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, and then treat them on that level. And the universe is just a beautiful photocopy machine showing you like where your incongruencies are. That's 5D. Okay. You want to learn more about that? Take her course because it's fucking awesome. Okay, what is 6D manifestation? 6D manifestation is jumping ahead and saying, ultimately, ultimately, my ultimate goal is actually to remember that I am source, that I am the creator, that I am source, that this world, that I am a co-creator of this world, that I am a God, that I am God, that God works through me. And ultimate, ultimately, ultimately, when I manifest anything, 
I'm actually just bringing different parts of myself back to me because I am source. I am everything. I am that promotion. I am that cup. I am that car. I am, you know, I am the universe. I am source. So manifestation takes on a new meaning because you're just recognizing that you are a co-creator and ultimately your greatest challenge in life is remembering that you are the universe, right? That's 60 manifestation. So looking at it through that, if I say I am source, and then I look at all the different things that come up to show me where I'm not in alignment, what are they? Okay. Well, they're physical. It's like Roe versus Wade overturned, right? That's a physical thing that's happened. It's happened right. on the physical. I have thoughts of, I hate the fucking father. So that's mental. I have feelings of injustice and rage. That's emotional. Spiritually, I feel constricted. I, I don't feel connected, right? So how am I going to get in alignment with all of those things, right? All these different things showing me where I'm not in alignment with me being source. And so to get in alignment with all those things, I must live physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as if I am source. Because if anything's going to change, it's going to change here with me, right? So Galela gave me an activation. They told me that we were going to do like a transmission on, and I'm going to embody Lilith, the dark feminine. And I started laughing hysterically because I was in a trance and I was like, she's not even dark. She's just fucking powerful and awesome. So everyone fucking scared of her. And they're like, yeah, awesome. Yeah. But like, she's dark because she's hidden in the shadows and she's hidden in the shadows because she has been suppressed. So what is the remedy for a perverted patriarchy, toxic masculinity? What is the remedy to that? The remedy to that is the dark feminine. Lilith is the anecdote. Lilith is the treatment for the toxic masculinity. We need the dark feminine rage. It's so yeah. funny how how you pulled a tarot card randomly while I'm over here having these aliens tell me this shit. It's amazing. <laughs> and they're okay. telling us the same shit. <laughs> telling us the same shit. Some stuff. So they're like, they're like, we want you to embody her fully, but we don't necessarily want you to react to her. So like, for example, when Christina tells me stuff about her abuser, I'm just observing that I want to pick up a shovel and whack the abuser across the face. Okay. I'm just enjoying that Lilith dark energy that wants to do it, right? I have to engage with someone who I'm very upset with, but this person is part of a package deal like we were talking about. So I, I, I'm not going to give up hanging out with this other awesome person because I'm pissed at this person. So like... I'm just going to observe all the ways I want to destroy this person that I don't like right now. And it's okay. And it's beautiful. And my husband's like, but you, but when you have these horrible thoughts about people and this desire and this rage for revenge, it's costing you. It's costing you. And I was like, no, it's not <laughs> because it's embracing all of me. And it's and like, they even told me, they're like, Eric's not going to really understand this yet, but he will because he's taken the course too. He's going to eventually get there. But like, it might be really hard for people to hear me or Christina talking about embracing feminine rage and being like, no, but that's, that's going to cost you like, like we need to be kind and we need to be nice and we need to love and forgive. And it's like, oh no, fucking no, no, no. Kali with her fucking necklace of the dead man's head. Like yeah. there is a beauty and there is a power in the feminine dark rage. There is a beauty and a power in it. And so I'm going to embody her. And I don't yet know what that's going to look like physically. I do know how it feels emotionally. Emotionally, it feels fun. 
emotionally it feels angry, but in like a non-judgmental angry way, but like a fun rage, like I fucking, fucking want to get a shovel and whack. You know, I'm not going to do it, but you know, it feels good. Yeah. Mentally, it's like, I am powerful. I, I am amazing. Like I am tapped into this fucking Lilith energy, dark energy. She's always been here. She's just been dormant because the patriarchy has suppressed her. And then spiritually, I feel free and I feel connected. And I think God loves a bitchy wife sometimes, you know? Yeah. Can I, can I, it's so interesting you say that because for me, when you first told me about the things that you were doing to like express your anger and rage, I was like, oh shit, some witch shit's coming up here. I don't know if I like that. Right. But like the more that I'm recognizing my anger and rage, which is really guys, what our anger and rage is, is our power being pulled back into our body. Basically our inheritance of feminine rage and our ability to express it has been taken away by the father right has been taken away by the patriarchy whatever you want to say and we are reclaiming our inheritance by embracing this angry rage so now that i feel more accepting of it i'm like fuck yeah and i love that like i totally love that especially because you're doing something you're doing things that are fun that really aren't harmful to anybody right you know and and it's like in the process of, of sectioning yourself are off and compartmentalizing yourself and saying this part isn't acceptable, that's more harmful than the even the rule of three or any of the other things right. that can happen by pulling that into the world, right? Like, yeah, like I feel like in so many ways, my PMDD was this feminine rage that just didn't have an outlet. So then when I, I would be hormonal and she could rise to the surface, she would just she would just want to destroy anything and everything. But when I let her exist in me, and express herself we can express her in fun ways i can imagine hitting someone upside the head with a shovel and i'm not gonna do it but it feels fun and it's funny i might come up with creative ways to just channel my rage and it's fun and like you know i've also really gotten into gardening which is funny but like i feel like gardening has been a great way for me to channel my rage because i see those weeds and i'm like motherfuckers like i used to feel guilty when i pluck weeds like who am I to pluck this weed? What did this weed do to anyone? Why is it less than the grass near it? Like, that's how fucking existentially bullshitted I was, you know, by the superiority stuff. And now I'm just like, there's a weed? I'm gonna fucking kill it. I'm gonna fucking pull it up. And it feels great. Like, like it's fun. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, and that's the thing. And, and for me, I'm just discovering this. And I definitely, for me first, I feel like my, all my, all my exiles and inner children and any parts of me that are like, we got to make sure that we stay away from this kind of tender area, right? Which is the way that like, you know, you abuse in the same way you were abused. That for me, I'm not directing it towards other people. I am directing it in forms of like exercise and I'm doing things like that. I think I will eventually feel comfortable doing it towards other people if that's necessary. But for me, it feels good and safe to just be like, you know, want to direct this towards, you know, like I had I had a Black Panther lick my face last night. And I was like, is this symbolic of something, you know, in terms of like Black Panthers being social activists, obviously, that's where I feel called to do it, right, is in social activism of like, whatever way I can do that, right? I don't know how the fuck I'm going to do that, right? Because I've I've taken away my power for so much and, and said, oh, well, I, I shouldn't have a voice about this because I'm part of the oppressor group, you know, or, or all these sorts of things. And I'm just like, no, I don't really want to do that anymore. I want to actually do something about this, right? So it can show up in any way. 
I love the way yours has shown up and I'm like fully, I fully embrace the way that yours has shown up and I'm still discovering mine and mine and mine and mine end up looking like yours, right? When I can kind of get over directing my anger towards others. But yeah, I just love it. I love it. Yeah. But one thing that the Galela Collective did tell me, which I thought was a little important, was they're like, it's fine that you go into these rage and you have these ideas of what you want to do that you're not going to really do. They're like, it's fine that you do that as long as you remember that you are source and they are also source. You know, yeah. it's a different, there's a connection there. It's not about separation then, it's about connection. It's like, I'm going to hate and destroy a part of you that I hate and destroy. Mm -hmm. And that's also beautiful. Just like, you know, tumors, they grow, they grow, cancer just grows when something isn't destroying it. Cancer is the epitome of growth without proper destruction yes and, and which and then it eventually does destroy so it's like it's okay if we destroy or want to destroy as long as we remember that we're all in this together you know what i mean I d it, it makes perfect sense right it's a check and balance on that's the sacred marriage the sacred marriage of the of the of the masculine and the feminine is is a balancing act between the idea of 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 creating identity and creating the I am while also recognizing that nothing is the I am, right? You're the tree. That's the, the masculine says, I am the tree. And the feminine says, I am the forest. There is no tree. And you can go between those two ideas, right? But ultimately the forest has to stay healthy in order for the tree to exist. And the tree has to exist in order for the forest to exist, right? Like you can't have a forest with no trees in it. Right. So it's like we can constantly go between these two kind of ideas of of reality and you can sit in whichever one you want. But it's important that you recognize that balance. You know, that's why that that quote from that article was like community in some ways is is the ultimate self care. Right. Because it's like, OK, I'm going to go into the feminine now and I'm going to I'm going to recharge and really feel what it is to be a part of the community and, and fill myself up with love to remember where I'm going to direct my anger when I come back into the individual and I can actually act as an individual. Can I, can I read one more bit from, I'm gonna read one more bit from this and it says, and Sekhmet is the sacred call to move that anger from pure emotion into conscious action. She wants us to act with conviction and from love. She wants us to create healthy boundaries we need so we aren't injured again and again and so that we can free ourselves from a destructive pattern it's time to end. We have a divine right to draw a sacred circle around us at all times and the protection we invoke for ourselves and others helps us move from feeling helpless to taking loving action. I don't think either of us have fully figured it out, but I feel a ton more free. Mm -hmm. I feel a ton more connected. I feel a ton more empowered. And I'm just happier, you know, it's funny, like a couple times this and last week, I start laughing hysterically and Eric's like, did you take an edible? Did you take a gummy? <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's just, you know, I'm just remembering that I'm source. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix and for listening to this series. We have absolutely loved your feedback. If you would like to contribute to the cause of helping other people find us, can you please put a review on Apple iTunes or follow us on Spotify? Thanks. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done.
Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.